0: Let me pray for us. Oh, our Father, we thank you for the Gospel. We thank you for the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. We praise you for your love and mercy and forgiveness and transforming power poured out on us in him by your Spirit. Oh, Father, we pray that you might teach us every day to live in your Gospel, in this good news of what you have done for us. And Father, we pray today, especially as we think about uh, what, the work that we might engage in in our lives, we pray that we might do that in the gospel too. So thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, I'll shift over here, and uh, in a moment we're going to meet Craig, but before we do, I didn't mention before, uh, we do have clipboards, uh, activity clipboards for the kids. If you didn't get those on the way in, you can just run and get those at any time, Uh, and and, uh, feel free to do that, Um, yeah, if you would like. So um, we're going to get to know Craig now, so Craig, come on up, mate. that would be great to have you, I might give you this mic and I will go over here. We can share. We'll share. <laughs> uh, it's lovely to have you with us, Craig. Um, many of us will know Craig. Uh, we have had Craig preach to us before, but only virtually. Uh, we that was, that was from my attic. <laughs> yes, 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 uh, Craig preached from the attic in the middle of lockdowns last year. Now is this, uh, you can hear us all right? Yep, all, all good. Uh, so uh, Craig, it's uh, really good to have you with us. Thank you for coming down. Um, uh, a couple of questions, just to get to know you. Uh, fill us in a little bit about your family, who's in your family, and then tell us a little bit about uh, the work that you do and uh, why uh, you are engaged and
1: excited about that work. So that would be great. Okay. They're very open-ended questions. Yeah. So just come closer to me when you think you've had enough. Okay, right. right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm married to Merle, who's sitting uh, down here, and I noticed there's quite a few South Africans. So just to let you know, Merle's South African. Um, and uh, we've got two adult children who are both married. Uh, and uh, to replace them, we now have a dog called Bertie. So he, he is actually here with us, but he's in the car park. But I've realised that uh, the house went very quiet when the kids left. And um, it was very good to have uh, a surrogate little child in the house. He certainly, he's a puppy. So it's really tested us going back to parenting at the young stage all over again. Yeah. And the second question was, what am I doing now? Yeah. So uh, for the last 13 years, I've been working with people uh, in their workplaces. So that started off in the city. Um, in Adelaide and the motivation for that came really from having a congregation of young workers uh, that I was responsible for and realising that I knew hardly anything about their discipleship and life after they left on Sunday and did all the things um, with with me and the congregation. So in getting to know them through the week and seeing their workplaces, I realised in many cases, what they are up against and thought, what a great opportunity to actually try and help people when they're in their work mode, thinking through what it means to follow Jesus in that place. And the other side of that is, um, you know, we're trying very, very hard as Christians who want people to discover Jesus, to bring them to church but they go out to people every day of the week. You go out to people every day of the week and mix with them. Wouldn't it be a good idea to try and train and equip you in that setting to be missionaries uh, in your settings that God's put you in? So I've been doing that, and I have a a team of uh, six people. One of them is retired, um, who loves what she's doing. She's working with young women and helping them uh, enter back into the workforce after they've had kids and they're thinking about coming back part time. And uh, we work out of an office in the city, and, uh, but we by no means are restricted to that CBD. And certainly with COVID, that's really put a bullet through uh, thinking that you can just do a ministry and a CBD in the city to workers. So um, we work with anyone who wants to work.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, that's uh, really encouraging to hear. And um, uh, so uh, over the last couple of months as a church, we've been uh, looking at the big picture of the Bible's story. And so today, I I think it's going to be a great opportunity to take one topic, the topic of work, uh, and think about how that big picture of the Bible's story influences the way in which we think about this topic, not just our paid work, but all the kind of work that we engage Mm. in. Um, so really, yeah, looking forward to uh, hearing your reflections on that. Um, I might get you to sit down because we're going to watch a video now to introduce the organisation Engage Work Faith, uh, which is the organisation that uh, Craig has started up and now leads. Uh, and uh, just uh, this video will give you a bit of a taster for what Engage Work Faith does. So, Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful light of your word And we pray now that as it's read and proclaimed to us, uh, that by your spirit you might take your word and plant it deep in our hearts so that it might bear good fruit for your glory. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. We have a number of Bible readings today. Uh, They'll all be up on the screen. If you've got your physical Bible, it might be a bit of flicking, but that's fine. And Sarah's going to read them for us. Thanks, Sarah.
2: No, we're starting in Genesis chapter two, verses eight to nine. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis two, fifteen to seventeen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Genesis three seventeen to 19. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, "'See, you are well again. "'Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you.' The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, "'My father is always at his work to this very day, "'and I too am working.' For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Well, thanks
1: very much for having us uh, here. Um, We came down for the weekend. I guess a lot of people do this (laughs) who come and speak with you here. But um, it does actually set you into the context a little bit more and helps you to understand uh, the people and the setting that you're speaking to. And um, we certainly enjoyed ourselves um, so far over the weekend, looking forward to getting to know you better. And uh, I, I should mention that Uh, Our website is probably the key way that we meet people these days um, because of COVID and other things, and uh, I've got some flyers that I've left on the table that have our website details on it, and if there's anything related to work that you're wondering about, that is a great website to go to. It's got a public library with over 140 articles related to work, and you can look at look it up very clearly with um, uh, with a search engine function. And uh, those articles come from everywhere. Um, some of them, uh, many of them are Christian perspective, but some of them are just a perspective on a current issue that's happening at the moment. Um, so we want to be helpful to you. And even if you're um, retired, um, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but please don't think of yourself as not being a worker uh, because... You, you are working up until you get taken by the Lord. So please think about how you do your work and please be an encouragement to other people and that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to give you some quotes and tell you who they're from and I want you to gravitate to the one that you think most resonates with how you feel about work. So the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Martin Luther. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Paul the Apostle. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Proverbs. Working hard for something that we don't care about is called stress. Simon Senek. I wonder which one you gravitated to out of those definitions. Because what I will tell you is that your view of work has been shaped somewhere along the way by someone or something. That view that we have of work is highly personal In my case, I grew up in a working class family, and that family really prized physical labor. And so both parents worked in physically demanding jobs, and when they came home at night and on the weekends, they kept working. Um, They were always active. I always remember my parents cleaning, painting, sweeping, cooking, to stop and rest in our family during the day, well, it was like you had to call an ambulance, you know. (laughs) It just, you didn't do it. Now, for you, who has shaped that view of work that you currently hold? Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's an influential uh, teacher that you had along the way. Maybe it was your first boss. But you've got a view of work, Daniel Doriani, in his book, Work, Its Purpose, Dignity and Transformation, supplies a great definition here. He says, and you can see it on the screen, work is not merely about making a living while avoiding sin. It's about extending the kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I suspect that our view of work is shaped unwittingly more by our culture and our family, and our personal history than it is by the word of God. So we're going to have a look today at what God has to say about work. We've probably heard everybody else's view of what they think work is, so why not have a look at what God says? And maybe by doing that, it could help you reshape some of the areas in your understanding of work that need to be addressed. And it also might be useful so that you can be more helpful to other people who are wrestling with their view of work. So to do that, you have to start at the end. And the final picture of the Bible is not really that dissimilar to what most human beings are longing for and have been striving for throughout their work life. And that is rest. Rest from their labours. A mate of mine, he bought a house on the York Peninsula with some money that he got when his father-in-law died. And he used to tell me he lived for Friday nights when he could pack that car with the family, the fishing rods and his dog and head off to what he called was paradise. It felt like as soon as he'd nailed it, his wife contracted an aggressive cancer And she was gone within months. And the bottom fell out of his world, and he went and sold the property. You see, God's picture of rest eclipses anything that we have settled for as paradise. So often, what we try and settle for falls so far short of our own expectations C.S. Lewis, the famous writer, once said, we're like children who are content to make mud pies in our backyard when we've been offered a holiday by the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased. That great longing that's inside of you, perhaps that brought you down here to, you know, South Australia's version of paradise, Maybe that desire to sail the Great Barrier Reef or to live off the grid and live off your own organic produce when everybody else has to be in a bullpen. Well, that, that longing is simply an echo of what God is really wanting for you. It's what he's put in your DNA and it's a shriveled up view of paradise often that we settle for. How so? Well, now we can go back to the beginning. And if you have a look at Genesis again, in the opening book of the Bible, we meet God, and guess what? He's a worker. 35 times in chapter 1, God is working. And then when we get to chapter 2, it says this. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now I think we can just skip over this because it's so familiar to us often as Christians. But I want you to just reflect on how radical the idea is here that's being presented. Most of the other creation stories of this time do not present God as a worker. The God's are lolling around on their shaz lounges being fed grapes by human beings. And human beings are the ones who do the dirty work. Particularly manual work was perceived as being bad. You may um, have heard of Greek mythology and you may know some of the stories, but if you know Pandora's Box, the story of Pandora's Box, Zeus gives to Pandora... Um, this woman that's first woman created. He gives her a box and he says, You can have the box on one condition that you don't open it. Well, you know what's going to happen with this, don't you? So she opens what she's not meant to open, and out comes death and decay. And guess what else? Guess what else? Work. So work in Greek mythology comes from the same place as death. Now, the ancient world thought that work was a curse. That's where they started from. And you really don't have to go far in 2021 to find people who still think like that. And Genesis flies in the face of what many people think about their work. God makes us from the earth. Here we see God with dirt under his fingernails. He's digging, he's planting, he's he's getting his hands dirty, and it's good. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us that all work, whatever it is, has dignity, even the most menial tasks, because God himself is a worker. And please note that there's nothing mentioned so far about how much you get paid for it. As his image bearers, God creates us to mimic him. We work, we cultivate, we keep, we steward, we fill. And work, in that sense, is a great blessing. You think about the paramedic who's trained to come and pick you up from the middle of a car trauma. What a blessing to have him or her trained to do that. Or what about the person who goes into a a firm that's folded as an auditor and can bring order out of chaos in, in, in that liquidated company. Think about the people who are going to pick up your rubbish around Victor this week and take it somewhere else and sort it. Work is a good thing, and when we work, whether it's paid or not, we're simply stewarding this world and collaborating with God and reflecting something of the nature of our Creator. But of course, that is only half the story, isn't it? Because work is now a good thing gone wrong. And after the first human beings disobey God by eating from the one tree they're told not to, chapter three, verses 17 to 19, record the impact, particularly on us and our relationship to the world. And it says this, "'Cursed is the ground because of you, Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return to." I'm curious here because I think five times here in three sentences, eating is mentioned. Eating is the way that sin enters human life and now the punishment is in the eating. What was once provided for must now be struggled and sweated for and toiled for. And the frustration, I don't know whether you felt this, of providing food on the table, for yourself or for others is a constant reminder of that faithful disobedient act of eating. Think about it. You know, in every way, at every level, this world is out of sync now. And as we try and apply ourselves to work in it, we can't work it properly. And it's a frustration. Last year in the middle of the pandemic, our phone line went dead which meant the internet went dead, which for this little bunny trying to run a ministry from home, caused me to be in a great flap. So of course, I got on the phone queue to the call center of my provider, and I secured a visit of a technician. The technician came on a Saturday morning, which was a relief, you know, I thought I was gonna have to wait till Monday, And he looks around and he goes, oh, yeah, the ground, uh, ground over here underneath the tree. That's where the line goes. And it's been, you know, the tree roots knocked it around. But you're the only house in this street that's joined up to that line. And we're not going to fix that. Because, and then he went all cheery on me. The MPN is coming. And then he walked out of my life. So I went inside and I rang the MBN information hotline, and again was put in call waiting for a while. And uh, they were really frustrated when they heard the technician's response. They said it was August. They said we're not due to connect you up until December 31. Happy New Year. Well, I rang my provider's call centre again and by this time I was was deliriously singing along to the music that was so familiar to me. And finally, they sent out another technician two days later and he restored the line. And he was really, really annoyed with the previous technician. Do you know why? Because apparently on the weekends, they are contracted for the number of jobs they attend, not the number of jobs they fix. So I thought to myself, that's at least five people who are incredibly frustrated with work over that one issue. I mean, what's frustrating you about your work? I'm sure you've got frustrations with your work. The writer of Ecclesiastes captures something of this when he says... I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. You see, we work hard often in life to see it all go down the drain. You think about cleaning. Cleaning, for example... You wipe the bench tops, you dust the furniture, you vacuum the carpet, you wash the stains off the clothes, you scrub the bathroom, you do it over and over and over again. A lifetime of removing dirt, only to end up covered in six feet of it at the end. Isn't that a cruel irony? Work's a struggle. So no wonder we gravitate to one of two extremes. We either say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat this, I'm gonna be a workaholic, I'm gonna whip this into shape. And you just give yourself over to work and don't let it win. Or you say, I'm gonna get out of this. I'm gonna shortcut this, I'm gonna retire early, I'm gonna skip work, because it's all too hard. Both reactions. To the frustration of work. What's your default? Overwork? Underwork? They're both bad responses. So, in summary, what has God said? So far, what we've seen is work is good, we're designed to work, but work is painful and frustrating because we're dislocated from God. And that's why, you know, I <laughs> meet a person who's made redundant and listen to them, you know. They can't cope without their job. And then you go back and see them a month later after they've landed their dream job. Now they're squealing about their workload that they've got. You think, things things change so quickly in a month. So what is God going to do about this love-hate relationship that we have with our work? Well, he's going to send his son to work in the world. What was Jesus' work? Well, it was more than carpentry. Listen to Jesus' words. My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. This is John chapter 5. So what's the background to this? We heard the story. Well, Jesus is, he heals a man on the Sabbath or the rest day. And he certainly attracts criticism for doing this. And yet, what was his work? Well, in essence, his work is to do what the Sabbath day is meant to do in a little way. Um, He is there to heal, restore, and recreate an invalid impacted by the fall. Which, when you think about it, that's that's the tenor or the tone behind the rest day. So Jesus' goal in all his work is to get us back to life in paradise with God. And so he works in this world to purchase us back to our creator from whom we're now estranged as human beings. And that, that gives us true rest. At another point in chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says this, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So what makes me think that dying on a cross was Jesus work well because the final words Jesus utters at the end of his life on that cross is it is finished and it's not just a comment on the horrific execution but it's a it's a summary of the great grand task of reversing the fall And that's why the whole of Jesus' ministry and death on the cross, if you ever go to Bible college, you'll see that it's listed in a section called the work of Christ. So if you think your job's hard, then think again. Ultimately, Jesus did the hardest work to secure the ultimate rest for us. How do you know if it worked? You know, that's a good question to ask, isn't it? How do you know it worked? Well, we would have to start reversing the effects of the fall. Because if there's anything that makes a mockery of your work, it's going to be death. Jesus' resurrection tackles that head-on. And it's far more than a party trick. It's the surest sign that Christ's task that he did really, really worked. And it's the forerunner of many resurrections to come. You know, as the mob were closing in on the night before Jesus died, he reassured his disciples with these words. He said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Prepare a place for you. I don't know whether you've ever stayed in an Airbnb and you go into the place and you see all those little touches that people have done to make your visit extra special. You know, a fire in the corner set up, some homemade soup in the fridge, chocolates, What does that say to it? It says they're, they're invested in us, their guests. This is what Jesus says. Of all the pictures you could paint to depict heaven, the dominating one that the Bible comes up with is rest. What does God do after creating our world? Rests. What is lost at the full? Rest. What eludes human beings ever since? Rest. And what does Jesus hold out to weary workers? Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you another job. rest. Isn't that what most people are hanging out for in this world? If you don't believe me, then just take another look at that person with the spring in their step, humming to themselves on a Friday, knowing that they're going on three weeks holiday. See, we're we're created to work, but we're wired for rest. Rest is much, much more than the absence of work. I mean, you can go and lie on a beach at Port Douglas and be about as restful as a dog with fleas. Not at peace, not at ease with yourself, with other people around you, with your maker. Rest, real rest is when you're reconciled to yourself, with others, with God's Son, Jesus Christ. It's the ultimate in delayed gratification. It is really the superannuation of those who understand spiritual things. A follower of Jesus can really work in this world because they're invested in the much greater work of people being reconciled back to God. And really, that's what makes a person prepared to cross that line and stick their neck out and talk about Jesus to their workmates because they know what they're really after and what they're striving for. And they know that what Jesus gives is indispensable to a life of work. Made for work, work's gone wrong. Christ comes with his mighty work to secure our rest. Now, what sort of rest? I mean, how how do you fit heaven into all this? This is an area where Christians diverge. You know, what's the future look like for us when it comes to work? And it's really all about how much continues and how much doesn't when we leave this world and head to our true home. We know that marriage is a creation ordinance. It was there at the beginning, but Jesus tells us that it won't be there in heaven. So clearly some things go through and other things don't. But if you read the book of Revelation, I think you could safely conclude that there won't be wedding planners in heaven. There won't be you know, evangelists, um, There won't be doctors. We won't need to have lawyers anymore. To try and predict which elements will continue and which ones are going to be consumed, well, you know, you could start that now and that'll keep you going until Jesus comes back. But here's a couple of deductions I've made from this about the future of work. One comes from Revelation 22, verse 3 on the screen there. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And here's the bit that's interesting. And his servants will serve him. Now, it appears that there's going to be stuff to do in heaven if we're going to serve God. And for those of you who sort of aren't thrilled at the thought of floating around in a disembodied state, singing for the rest of eternity, and I do love singing, but I do, I don't know whether I can keep it up for the whole of eternity, but it seems that you can praise God through acts of service in this new world. Another thing, some of the work that we do in this world will get incorporated into the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21:24 says the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it so something comes through from this world into our final home and thirdly heaven is also a place of rest revelation 14 verse 13 blessed are the dead who die in the lord for they shall rest from their labors and the word there for labor the greek word is actually the negative word for work it's the idea of fatigue and struggle and toil. In heaven, that tension between, I don't know, you probably have this experience of doing deep work where, you, where you, time just flies past, you don't realise that you've been there for as long as you have, it absorbs you, it's satisfying, that sort of deep work. And then there's the other sort of work that just wears you down to the bone. You can't wait for it to be finished. It's so frustrating. That, that tension will finally be resolved because work and rest are not opposites. Imagine all the things that you love about your work. Satisfaction, the sense of progress, the benefit that it brings to other people, but without the confusion, without the miscommunication, without the annoyance and the angst and the gremlins... And that's why the chorus of heaven will be, thank God it's Monday, not Sunday. Oh, sorry, thank God it's Monday, not Friday. Christians can take a long-haul view of work, I think. Christians opt to make some of the best workers in this world precisely because they're not pumping this world to give them everything they want. Some Christians I meet have a comprehensive, logical, and well-thought-out worldview of why they work, do you? Do you? Do you share that with others around you when they express their joy or their frustration with what they're doing with their life and their jobs? You know, if there's a most natural and logical way to go deeper with people it's over your your perspective on work and why you're here and why you're doing it and why you think it's so frustrating and what you really enjoy about it it's just such an easy transition The unspoken fear lurking just below the surface for many human beings, I think, is that they think, I'm pouring my sweat and my time into this, but I've got no idea whether it will amount to anything. God's words offers an alternative to that, doesn't it? Let nothing shift you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for work. Thank you for being a worker. Thank you for making us in your image. Help us to remember the great privilege we have of bearing your image as we work. Thank you that you have redeemed us through the work of your son and that we will Enjoy true work and deep work through to heaven. Amen.
3: Thank you so much, Craig. That's uh, so helpful, so uh, very helpful, I think, for me. I'm sure you'll agree. Friends, we're going to spend some time now in prayer, so please uh, join me in your hearts and minds. Holy God and our loving Father, uh, thank you that we can uh, come to you in prayer, uh, humbly, independently, but uh, confidently through the blood of Jesus, uh, through this new and living way that you've opened up for us in him. Uh, Thank you for our great High Priest, uh, through whom we can draw near to you with sincere hearts uh, and with the full assurance that faith brings, with hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy to us in Jesus, and uh, thank you for hearing our prayers. Uh, Thank you for continuing to build your kingdom, as the good news of Jesus is proclaimed in all nations of the world, including here in Australia. Father, we thank you for, um, uh, for Engage Work Faith. We thank you for um, uh, what we've heard today about what your, uh, how your word um, shapes our view of, of work. Uh, and we um, just thank you for the work of uh, Craig and the team. Uh, just empowering uh, South Australian Christians to uh, engage in the workplace, to live consistently in light of your word and your gospel, uh, and also engaging uh, others in the workplace uh, with the good news of Jesus uh, and equipping them to be sensitive communicators of the gospel. We pray uh, that you would bear much, uh, th- uh, much fruit for your kingdom uh, through uh, all that this uh, team is involved with. We pray today, Father, for um, Bush Church Aid, uh, for John Warner and the team there. Uh, We thank you for this great work uh, of gospel ministry and mission in our nation for over 100 years now. Uh, We thank you for the faithful men and women serving uh, in churches far and wide in rural Australia, taking the good news of Jesus to all manner of people in a whole range of contexts. Uh, We pray that many more... Uh, folk through them would come to know and trust in Jesus and to grow to be more like Him uh, with lives uh, that increasingly bear fruit for your glory. Uh, we thank you for our own network, the Trinity Network of Churches. Uh, we pray uh, today for uh, just a few of the churches. We pray for um, the Adelaide Church, uh, specifically at the moment uh, for Jeff Lynn and his wife Wendy, as Jeff takes on the role as senior pastor. Uh, we pray for um, the the new church plant um, uh, that 's going to happen in the Western suburbs. We pray that as that takes shape uh, as it takes shape, people will um, join the church. People will um, uh, join teams uh, that catch the vision and really uh, bear much fruit in the western area of Adelaide for your kingdom under your sovereign hand. For Colonel Light Gardens, we thank you for the nine uh, guests who attended their recent life series exploring who Jesus is. Uh, some for the very first time, please continue to work in their hearts and minds uh, by your spirit, bringing them to faith in Jesus and growing them in it. Uh, for Modbury, we um, thank you for the many people who just completed their welcoming course recently. We pray that those who attended uh, will catch the vision of the church there and uh, join a community group and begin serving on a team so that the work of the gospel can flourish in that northeastern area and many more people can be saved. Uh, and for Paraka, we really give you thanks for their first year as a church, um, celebrating their first birthday later this month. Uh, we give you great thanks for what you're doing there. Uh, and we also pray for um, for Grammy, who's recently stepped into uh, leading the venue team there. Please help Grammy just settle into that role and serve you uh, faithfully in, in that Uh, For us here at Victor Harbour, we pray, Father, that you would just continue your transforming work in us through your gospel, uh, growing us together in maturity in Jesus and making us more and more like him. Uh, We pray for our home groups kicking off again this week in a new term, uh, gathering as we gather together in our homes and dig deep into your word. We pray that we would be powerfully shaped as a church family by your word in 1 Corinthians this term and that we'll grow in unity and maturity uh, together. Um, please continue also your work, your transforming work in our young people, our kids and our youth, uh, drawing them to faith in Jesus and growing them up in, uh, in him. Um, we uh, pray for our youth home group, for Sam and Naomi who lead that. Please uh, really bless uh, our young folk there uh, and really anchor them uh, in their faith in, in the Lord Jesus Uh, We also pray for Trinity youth uh, with all the network, uh, the youth from all the network churches that gather on a Friday night every fortnight. Please uh, bless that time and please bear much uh, fruit through that too. Father, thank you for your extravagant love and grace and mercy to us in Jesus. Um, Please continue um, your work in us um, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach uh, unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And now to you, Father, who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you, our Father, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.